Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for downloading this Intelligence Squared podcast. For more information on our debates, talks and discussions, visit intelligencesquared.com and sign up to the newsletter. This panel session was part of Brexit Britain, an afternoon of debate and discussion produced by BBC Newsnight in partnership with Intelligence Squared at the Royal Geographical Society in London. My name's Nick Watt, and uh, I cover politics for Newsnight. Over there, we've got Kwasi Kwarteng, Conservative MP. He was a Brexit supporter. Kwasi's an interesting fellow in the House of Commons. He doesn't just read books, he actually writes them. (laughs) Historian, distinguished thinker in the House of Commons. Next to Kwasi is another Brexit supporter, Theresa Villiers, who was Northern Ireland Secretary on the day of the referendum, but sadly... Uh, there wasn't a place for her in Theresa May's cabinet, but I think she thought very highly of you and offered you another sort of job. But anyway, you're on the back benches and therefore free to speak and tell us exactly what you think. Uh, next to Theresa is a uh, Remain supporter, Catherine McLeod, the former political editor, former colleague of mine, political editor of The Herald, used to be called The Glasgow Herald, uh, and then went to work for Alastair Darling when he was uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer. Uh, and finally... My former colleague on The Guardian, I used to work for The Guardian, uh, Owen Jones, uh, columnist, and also shares something in common with uh, Quasi. He writes books, although I'm told that uh, if you find yourselves at a sort of a Waterstones, you know, in a, in a rural part of Britain, there can be people queuing outside for Owen. So there we are. <laughs> so anyway, here we are. Fallout from that. Much happened in the last month? Um, okay, we'll have to agree. It is, has been one of, if not the most extraordinary periods uh, in uh, post-war British politics. Up there with the fallout of Suez, up there with the fallout of the defenestration of Margaret Thatcher. In a sense, 40 years of assumptions about Britain's place in the world have been turned uh, on their head. Uh, The Brexit side won, but then they sort of turned on each other um, in a pretty spectacular fashion. Michael Gove saw off Boris Johnson but then Theresa May saw off Michael Gove, and Boris Johnson is now Foreign Secretary. Uh, and then we ended up with that Brexit vote with the sort of the steadiest candidate for Prime Minister, who is obviously a Remainer, and that is Theresa May. So the big question I thought we would put to our panel here today is, is there a revolutionary feel out there? You see Robert Harris, you may have seen it in an interview, the novelist in, in The Times today, saying he feels there's a whiff of the 1930s, talks about a sort of an extra-parliamentary feel, Uh, with the referendum and then obviously what's going on in the Labour Party. Let's not forget his next book is about the 1930s, so he's obviously puffing the 1930s. Large it up for the 30s. Um, So is there that revolutionary feel, or is actually something akin to the status quo going to assert itself because we have that very steady uh, and uh, remain candidate uh, as our Prime Minister? So I thought what I would do is I would kick off with that big question... 
is there a revolutionary feel in the air, or are we heading in the direction of some form of status quo too? I think the most mild-mannered member of our panel, and he knows it's him. Owen knows it's him. And Owen, um, heading to the golf course? <laughs> Uh, there is a revolutionary feeling out there, yes. Was it a revolution? No. Uh, unless you think uh, we had a revolution led by Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage, those uh, classic revolutionary uh, figures. There's huge discontent sweeping across the Western world at the moment, and it's going in lots and lots of different directions. On the one hand, it's Donald Trump. On the other hand, it's Bernie Sanders. Uh, in places like uh, Spain, you have Podemos, a new anti-austerity party in France, you have the anti-immigrant national front leading in the polls. You had Syriza in Greece and in Austria. You have the far right now on the brink of the presidency. So there's huge polarisation that's sweeping across the Western world and a lot of discontent, a lot of anger, uh, which already existed before the financial crash, but it was definitely magnified by the crash and the aftermath. Now, if I think of the people I grew up with, I grew up in Stockport. Stockport narrowly voted to remain, but that's just because of the suburbs. The middle-class suburbs overwhelmingly voted to remain within the European Union. Where I grew up, uh, people voted to leave. And they voted to leave partly because they thought they were sticking two fingers up to a political elite they thought had nothing but contempt for people like them. Absolutely no question about that. And also because of a failure of people like myself. Because the people I grew up with have huge problems. A lack of affordable homes. A lack of secure jobs. Stagnating and falling living standards. Public services under stress. And they see a lot of these problems through the prism of immigration. Now, no disrespect to Stockport, but one of its few problems is people flocking there. Uh, it's, it's quite the reverse, and I love my hometown, so it's not to belittle it, but there are very few immigrants in Stockport at all, actually. It's about 4% of the population. But because of a failure of people like me to explain or to try and at least make the case that the problems people have are because of a society rigged in favour of a tiny elite, a society that puts profit before the needs and aspirations of the majority, people have increasingly seen their problems almost exclusively through the prism of immigration, including in places with very, very little immigration. And all I'd say is, on, to, to finish on that point, you know, we do need a big change to the status quo. The people who led this campaign, and they're different from the people who voted, the people who voted have huge problems and needs that aren't being addressed, but the people who led the Leave campaign led it on a pack of lies and an attempt to whip up bigotry and prejudice when there are huge problems people in this country need to have addressed, and shame on the people, frankly, for whipping up that fear and that prejudice and those lies when there's so many problems out there that do need to be addressed. Thank you very much, Owen. So, Theresa... There's Owen, a Remainer, talking about revolution in the air. You were one of five members of the Cabinet to support Brexit. But I've never really thought of you as a, a revolutionary. T give me your take on how this country is going. Is it heading in the direction of some sort of status quo stability? Or, or do you agree with what Owen is saying? And if I could ask you at some point in your answer to answer that point from Owen that uh, Vote Leave won this on a pack of lies. I'd, I'd be delighted to answer that. I don't think that the, the sentiment out in the country at the moment is revolutionary. I think the real challenge now is to deal with the divisions which were highlighted by the result of the referendum and to be very clear that whilst the referendum result must be respected, um, that doesn't mean pulling up the drawbridge, it doesn't mean isolationism, it doesn't mean turning our back on our European neighbours. What it does mean is taking back control of making our own laws in our own parliament again. And what it does mean is, is changes to free-for-all freedom of movement. Um, I think those are very important to deliver. But 
you know, outside of the European Union, of course we'll still be doing business with our European neighbours. Of course we'll still be cooperating with them on matters of mutual interest. We can have a friendly and constructive relationship without, you know, the disadvantages of European Union membership. And I do not accept at all that um, the Leave campaign was based on misleading people. At the heart of it all was taking back control over making our laws in this country again. Um, that is what people voted in favour of when they voted to leave. Um, it, is, um, it is right to say that, you know, at, um, at present, as members of the European Union, at a general election, it doesn't matter who you vote for, there are many things that you just can't change, and that is not healthy for democracy. It's not healthy for democracy that many of our laws are made by people not only do we not elect, but we've never in, in many cases even heard of. Um, and I think that was what motivated 17 million people to come out and make this profound political change. But I think what has been crucial over the last few weeks is the resumption of stable government, um, a new prime minister, a new team, determined not just to make a success of the Brexit vote, to seize the opportunities of doing trade deals with countries around the world, places like Australia, which have already said they're keen to press ahead with trade negotiations, but it also means continuing the job of fixing the public finances, responding to um, the economic challenges and opportunities presented by the Brexit vote, and also um, taking on this great project, which was very much started by David Cameron, of improving life chances, but also broadening it and taking it forward under the leadership of Theresa May, who wants an economy to work for everyone. The reality is we've seen since 2010 a 1,000 new jobs created on average every single day. That's more people with the security of a wage, more people given real opportunities in life, but there is still much more we need to do to address inequality, to ensure more people have the chance of buying their own home, to ensure that we have the best possible educational outcomes, and in particular, I feel it's hugely important to deliver millions more apprenticeships because they are crucial not only for social justice, for delivering crucial opportunities for young people, but also ensuring that we remain one of the best places in the world in which to do business because we've got the highly skilled workforce, uh, which is crucial in that global race for um, economic success. So there are big changes ahead to unpick um, a 50-year relationship with our European neighbours, but to replace it with something equally friendly, but without the disadvantage in terms of lack of democracy, which I'm afraid undoubtedly come with European Union membership. Thank you, Theresa. Now, before I call Catherine... <laughs> won't get in the way of the applause. Before I call Catherine, I'm going to exercise my prerogative as the chair to ask a cheeky supplementary. When you answered Owen's point about the so-called pack of lies, there was, I think, not exactly a standing ovation in the audience. So let me just entirely at random just pluck from the air two sort of contentious claims made by Vote Leave. The first one is that we send £350 million a week uh, to the European Union. Now, the Institute of Fiscal Studies said that in order to get that £350 million back when we leave the European Union, once we've left, the 27 other member states would have to, and remember this is we've left, would have to continue paying their contributions to the UK budget rebate. That, that, that's uh, contentious claim number one. Contentious number, claim number two is that we are going, Turkey is going to join the European Union, and indeed 
could join as early as 2020. Now, you were a member of the Cabinet. You were a member of the Cabinet that agreed that any accession countries beyond Croatia, so that's the next lot, because Croatia's just joined, that they would not be able to join and have full access to the European Union until their GDP reaches 75% of the EU average. At random, those two thoughts, can I ask for your well, thoughts? Well, the, the, the gross figure is um, somewhere near £20 billion of contributions every year to the European Union. That's actually something more than £350 million a week. That figure was extensively scrutinised. It was legitimate to use the gross figure. Every time I referred to that figure, I was very clear that we got some of that money back in terms of our rebate and in terms of the programmes that the EU funds in this country, but we don't have control over any of it. Um, in terms of Turkey, um, one of the problems that the Remain campaign had on Turkey is somehow that they were making the suggestion, oh, well, Turkey's not going to join, and yet the UK government was the biggest champion of Turkish membership. You know, David Cameron, for whom I have huge respect, I think he was a great prime minister, but I've always profoundly disagreed with him on Turkish membership of the European Union. And for him to say that he wanted to pave the road from Ankara to Brussels and then turn around and say Turkish membership is not on the cards, I just don't think was a, um, a credible answer on the doorstep. The reality is that, um, I mean, I've seen it... Time and time again, my time as an MEP, once an idea takes hold in Brussels, it may, it may not, you may not do it in one year, may, you may not do it in two years, but it generally happens in the end. And I cannot think of one other country that's persistently pursued an application of membership which has ultimately been turned away. So I don't, I, being frank, I think Turkey joining is not going to happen soon. Um, and <laughs> events, political events, three, three political events also um, say that it's, it's not likely to happen soon, but I think it will happen within the next 10 or 15 years. No, oh, and the reality honestly, is honestly. that vote... Theresa, you say, vote, can I just interject here? Look, first, very briefly, because uh, I do want to hear from Catherine. June, on this the 23rd just, of June, we were being asked... You were being dishonest and disingenuous just, at the same time. Not at can all. Can I just explain not why? Very briefly, I want to hear from Catherine. Theresa, one of the join. reasons people voted you, Leave... Am is... I allowed to finish? I think Turkey will join. And on the 23rd of June, we were asked to vote not just on the European Union today, but the European Union of 10 years' time, 20 years' time, 30 years' okay. time, because no, we do might let, not have had let another Owen vote come in. for right, four Owen, years. Quickly, firstly, the £350 million figure, not only did that include, uh, not include the rebate, also the EU funding, which now has to be uh, for various projects that will have to be replaced. It was a lie. The point about Turkey, yes, it was a lie, an absolute total lie. The point about Turkey, Turkey will be, if, if it wants to join, it, will ha it just takes one EU state to veto it from joining. France, any well, country will be that. Will be that. Now, it's just, as we've just it. seen from what's happening in Turkey, there is no chance of it joining. And all I would say, just to conclude on this point, because I haven't covered the bigotry, we don't have time, but people were fed up of a political well, elite which peddled lies and dishonesty. Theresa, you've had your say. Quickly, and, and, Owen, and then let's and, have and a And the reality is, is you, won a, you waged a campaign know, for, for which was based on lies and dishonesty, and it is shameful. Theresa, right. Right to the prize. Very quick, right to the prize, Theresa. Theresa, right to the prize.
I think it's entirely wrong to accuse people who voted Leave of being bigoted. I didn't say that. That is okay. absolutely wrong. Let's read that. That's a lie. That's another lie. That's another lie. People who voted Leave did it because they wanted to take back control of I making their, own, their own laws in their own country. Again. I blame the Leave campaign, not Leave. Okay, okay, thank you very much. On that note, let us hear from Catherine McLeod. Catherine, can you answer the big question? And feel free to join in this lively discussion uh, on lies, damned lies and the truth. The revolution might start and stop here. I don't think there is a revolution in the country, which I think there is, and I think it's very worrying. I think there's a huge disillusionment in politics. I think 16 million people have voted to stay in the European Union, and they feel that they've certainly lost the argument, they don't know what to do now, and this is what happens in Scotland during the better... I think whenever you're faced with a binary choice and you're on the wrong side of the decision, people feel dismayed, don't know what to do with the political energy. They are not joining political parties and droves to try and make a difference. And I do think... The, but it, certainly, I live in Hertfordshire, go back and forth to Scotland a lot, and there were many lies. I mean, we had boards in Hertfordshire telling us that the 10,000 tax were coming by 2020. The negotiations for Turkey haven't got off base one. It, I would be very surprised. I'm older than Theresa, I know, but I don't think Turkey will be anywhere near the top table of the EU in my lifetime, and certainly not in yours either. The 350 million is a lie. People go round. The, I, I was speaking on Barnum and Crouch. John Pittingdale was telling people on Barnum and Crouch that they would get all the agricultural subsidies under Brexit that they got now. He has no... What, the only definitive thing that we can say in this platform today is that we have no idea what's going to happen. Brexit had no plan. The government had no plan for Brexit. And we've been left in a kind of terrible no-man's land of politics where uncertainty rules, and it's not a good place to be. Thank you, Catherine. Quasi, over to you. Um, I mean, I know I'm in the middle of London, and I know London voted overwhelmingly for Remain, but I think this is a highly partial and skewed account of what happened. Um, if we actually look at the argument, there were lots of outrageous claims made on both sides. On the one side, you had Project Fear, where you had a punishment budget, which I signed... I signed a letter saying I would vote down a punishment budget. And this was a Chancellor of the Exchequer who announced that he would have the most restrictive uh, budget since uh, the Second World War if the country defied his will and if the country voted for Brexit. This happened, he immediately retreated from that. So he, it wasn't, if it wasn't a lie, I don't know what it was. I mean, it was an attempt to fear and to swagger people and to bully them into doing what he wanted. And when they, did, they, they denied and they defied him, he completely reversed the situation. I've never seen anything like this in British politics. And I think that was outrageous. I think that was outrageous. And for you to pick on the two George, um, George, statements... George Osborne has changed his mind in every budget he's ever produced since no, but he, he was said, in the government. He kept, it's not it, new. But it wasn't it's a question of changing your mind. Retracted. This he's was very different. Around. This was very different. Some of us were longer-term critics of George no, Osborne no, this than was, you, I have to this say. Was, no, no, this was... No, 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 this was a very different thing. This was a chance of the Exchequer who said, if you do not vote the way I say, I using my House of Commons majority, will implement a budget, a punitive budget, the likes of which we haven't seen in 80 years. Philip Hammond in, 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 in China this very week, he didn't, he didn't he talk about, about it cuts. in these terms, but he did see that the perhaps were going to have to introduce fiscal measures which, if to deal with the economy that we have. Now, George Osborne perhaps wasn't very wise describing it the way he did, but Philip, we, have, we okay, might get okay. that budget yet. The point, the point that I'm trying to make is that he completely reversed what, what he said he would do. 
and it was clearly it brought it was a fear. And, and, and the, the biggest he, was the, sacked, no, no, he, he announced it before, and the biggest cheer in Project Fear was when Faisal Islam, uh, a, a colleague of yours in television, asked the Prime Minister, which is it going to be? Is it going to be economic collapse or, or um, World War III? And the audience completely laughed. Why Project Fear lost, and one of the reasons why Brexit won, was that Project Fear were making totally incredible uh, remarks, totally uh, implausible scenarios, and the people, very clear-eyed way, completely rejected what they were saying. And, and so when you talk about the lies and the exaggerations, you've got to be even-handed. So, you've so got quasi, to be even-handed. You've, you've got quite, to say quasi, that there were outrageous quite, propositions made on okay. one side, yeah, which no, were no, flatly rejected, okay. which were flatly rejected okay. by the people. So, Quasi, you've quite rightly challenged what you've been hearing here, but can I ask you, we have a great historian in front of us. Can you just answer the big question of the day, which is, do you sense there's a revolutionary fervour in the air, or are things going to sure. sort of settle I mean, as a, as a historian, I was quite surprised at Owen's remarks. Every revolution in history has been led by the, the bourgeoisie. I mean, the fact that Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage are not on the workers' side does not invalidate or, or has nothing to do with whether it's revolutionary. I mean, Lenin, Robespierre, all the 19th century anarchists, they were all middle-class people. So that, as a historian, to me, does not, it was, didn't add up as, a, as an argument. Now, to answer the question, I think it is a bit of a revolution. I think people were very, very surprised to see um, the whole establishment essentially being defied in a way that I've never seen, uh, certainly in the 20th century or in the last 120 years. I can't remember a time when all the leaders of the, of the main parties, uh, barring uh, Nigel Farage, the OECD, the Bank of England, the IMF, the EU, all of them, the TUC, the CBI, they were all arrayed on one side and the people rejected them. That, to me, in the modern context, because we don't have peasants with pitchforks and violence, in the modern democratic context, that seems to me a kind of revolution. Thank you. I told you he was erudite. So, thank you for that. I thought we'd move on to the next area, which is obviously there's been a political fallout for our main political parties, and I thought maybe we'd start with the Labour Party, um, given <laughs> that there is a leadership contest. Now, I don't mean to intrude too much on private grief, but we have Catherine, a leader of the Labour Party who does not enjoy the support of 80% of the parliamentary party, but clearly last September enjoyed nearly 60% of the membership support, and all the signs are that those 183,000 people who've signed up, it feels, we don't know, it feels that they're quite sort of Corbynista. So what is going on in the party that you worked for? Well, you were in government as special advisor in that really difficult period during the financial crash. What is going on? Oh, I'm probably the last person to ask, wrong person to ask. I don't know. Um, what... Um, <laughs> You look at the Labour Party at the moment, and it's really sad, not just for the sake of the Labour Party, but because it's not, um, in a constitutional sense, providing the opposition that any good government needs. I think that's, you know, it's hopeless. I mean, I thought last week in the vote for Trident, where whatever you think about the rights and wrongs of Trident, that the leader had one position, and the Shadow Foreign Secretary and the Shadow Defence um, Secretary had no position, abstained in what would probably be the biggest decision that they ever made if they were in government. I couldn't believe it, whether or whatever side that they came down on. So I think it's, they've left a lot of Labour, I know there's lots of people joining them, they say, I think a lot of middle of the road people that voted Labour for traditional reasons, tribal reasons, feel left behind. I think the Labour Party is having a crisis that the reasons that a lot of people um, voted Labour over the years.
sponsoring the show for this episode is Marquee TV. Marquee TV is a streaming service with a difference. It's bringing you the top tier of performing arts straight into your living room or onto your device. So think dance, theatre, music, anything you might find in the West End, Broadway, or maybe a cool little experimental space too, but saving you the cost of a few tickets as well. I've got happily a bit lost in their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. Choreographer Jonathan Watkins' interpretation of George Orwell's classic 1984 was pretty cool, and I love the dance piece, Sutra, inspired by the skills of Buddhist Shaolin monks. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents. With the code squared, simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code squared to dive into the world of arts like never before bring the arts home with marquee tv look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do i even say other than hey <sighs> well that's why they're introducing an all-new bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier starting the chat better and dating safer They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. That these bonds have gone, they might never come back. And so I think the Labour Party is feeling a real, facing a real crisis, and I don't know what the answer is. Thank you. Now, Owen, you've been supportive of Jeremy Corbyn, but nobody would describe you as a slavish reporter. You did put some question marks over his leadership during the contest last year. Let me ask you this big question. We are in the sort of the classic Benite heaven which is he believed that democracy meant that that resided in the membership and they should have the absolute say. And the more, quotes mainstream people, that's a contentious word in the Labour Party, said, no, it should be with Labour members of Parliament because they are greater representatives of democracy because they represent currently about 9 million people who voted for them. That is essentially the great dilemma. And tell me how you answer that question, that actually Labour MPs have a better mandate because they represent the wider... I, it electorate. has to be a bit of both, and I think both sides have a case to answer, quite frankly. I do think, myself, it was unforgivable, and actually people across the Labour Party and Labour Party supporters, I think, agree on this, that at time of extreme national crisis, when all the scrutiny should have been... the scrutiny should have been on the Conservative government and the Conservative Party and their own internal uh, turbulence, and the Conservatives are a ruthless political machine, and they were always going to unify in the way they've done now. At that moment of national crisis, there should, have been, there should not have been a coup which shut down the very workings of the opposition and stopped Labour being able to scrutinise it. The normal thing you do with a leadership challenge is you have a stalking horse challenge, so they could have waited two or three weeks, put up a stalking horse challenge without a load of mass resignations, and then had a leadership contest based on a battle of ideas, and clearly that hasn't happened. And that's my worry at the moment. Labour is in the brink of a terrible uh, civil war, which only looks like it's going to accelerate. The party, frankly, at the moment, has an existential crisis. We've seen in Scotland what can happen. Uh, That was the heartland of the Labour Party. Its first leaders were from Scotland, and it was wiped out in the space of a few years. And I worry about where I grew up and other places like that, about UKIP coming in to march uh, and, and, and at the moment circling above those constituencies. So at the moment, because the reason Jeremy Corbyn won partly was a lack of ideas on the part of his opponents, he filled a vacuum. 
Uh, and at the same time, the Labour leadership hasn't offered a coherent alternative that has resonated with most people. I'm just not going to pretend otherwise. But unless both sides get their act together and start acting like a genuine opposition at a moment of national crisis, then clearly we're going to look forward not just to a Conservative hegemony for the next generation, but the possible implosion of the Labour Party as a political force. And that just cannot be allowed to happen. Thank you very much. I'm now going to turn to the Conservative Party, and I'm going to ask um, Theresa and Kwasi to answer this question each reasonably quickly, because I want to open it up to the floor. So, Theresa, the question is, uh, you've got an overwhelming mandate of Conservative MPs behind Theresa May. Has the Conservative Party rediscovered what used to be its secret weapon, which is loyalty? And has the fissure over Europe been solved, or when Theresa May does the inevitable negotiations, the inevitable give and take that your colleagues on the outside will cry betrayal? Well, I, I believe that there is a, a real determination to make a success of these Brexit negotiations, and um, my colleagues on both the Remain and the Leave side are you know, very keen to give the Prime Minister our support in doing that. I think there was a pretty much universal sigh of relief that we didn't have to go through nine weeks of a painful leadership election. Um, and the fact that we have got someone who is now our Prime Minister who has got a rigorous record in dealing with the Home Office, the most difficult job in government, um, I think there is a huge amount of goodwill um, backing Theresa in what will be a difficult negotiation. But I'm absolutely confident that the vast, vast majority of the parliamentary party want her premiership to be a success and want this negotiation to be a success. So it, it won't be easy, um, given the complexity of the issues, given the long-standing differences of view within the Conservative Party, but um, there is that real goodwill. We, we want it to work. Thank you. And Kwasi, if you could answer I think I think uh, Theresa's right. I think we were all very surprised how quickly it was resolved. Uh, Andrea Leadsom essentially just withdrew, um, and we were all gearing up for a nine-week kind of slugfest. Uh, and I just anticipated it would have been Boris Johnson and, and Theresa May. I mean, that was what the, the, the bookies thought would be the, would be the contest. And I think, as you say, you know, whether loyalty is a great asset of the party, I don't know. I didn't see much of it uh, in the last month, perhaps. But um, what I would say is that uh, it was impressive the way in which the party came together behind Theresa May. Now, Owen says that's ruthlessness and, and, and all that sort of thing. But I just think it's very pragmatic. Um, the country needed leadership. Uh, we got a very good leader. She's had a good start. And I think... I was complimenting you, actually. Okay, yeah. That was the point. Well, you put it... You used bad words. Friendship breaks like out. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, was, it, was, it was impressive. And um, I think the whole party, across the, the various sides, are very united and focused on, on, you know, moving things forward. Great. Thank you very much. So I'm now going to open it up to the floor. Um, I would ask you if you could ask a question. So think of a question mark, not a statement. It would be really good if you could just tell us who you are. And bear in mind that we have Catherine, an expert on Scottish politics, and Theresa, a former Northern Ireland secretary. So if you want to ask about the two bits of the UK, the two constituent parts of the UK that voted in, feel free. So um, why don't we go to the gentleman here in the first row. And there should be somebody rushing towards you with a microphone. I'm going to put my glasses on so I can actually see you. Front row here. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, trying to cut to the chase, Brexit Britain one month in, 
uh, the, the value of the pound's gone down. People trying to sell their properties are having to reduce the, the value of their properties, as my sister-in-law had to do last week. Do we actually think, I'm, this is my question to the panel, do we actually feel better one month in, having voted to come out, or do we feel worse off? Okay, hold that one there, because we haven't got all the time in the world. Let's take uh, another question from the woman just there in the third or the fourth row. Hi, um, my question was about MEPs. So, um, Theresa, you said that people felt they had no control over laws that were made in Europe, but obviously we all have the opportunity to vote for MEPs. So I was wondering why people thought, um, why don't people understand that they, they do have a say and that they do have the chance to vote for these MEPs? Is that a PR problem? Is that a political education problem? Uh, why did people feel kind of not engaged with European politics? Great, let's take one more and then we'll turn to the audience in the front row here. Just here. Hello, um, my name is Vera. I campaign for children's rights and I am hating this, what promises to be a protracted period of meltdown in the Labour Party and endless debates, at which I'm present, um, on Brexit because it is an excellent time to bury bad news not just on children's rights, but on all those kind of little bread and butter issues. There must be social workers who screwed up massively in the case of little Ellie Butler, who was murdered by her father and re returned to her father by Justice Hogg. Do you remember? No? Well, you've probably forgotten because there was so much hoo-ha about um, Brexit, but it should have been a major, major story. There are so many stories of injustice and cruelty and dereliction of duty. How do we balance caring about them, particularly with um, the economy seemingly trashed or imperiled? Okay. And, yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, so I'm going to sort of shoot these questions around because we don't have all the time in the world. So, Theresa, you're a former MEP. If you could answer that question there about uh, MEPs, please. Well, the, the, the problem is we only have um, a handful of votes either in the European Parliament or the Council of Ministers. So staying in the EU means we get voted, outvoted time and time and time again. Um, that is the reason why we, one of the reasons why we need to take back control over making our own laws in our own parliament, because it is we who decide and not a majority of MEPs or ministers from other member states. It's as simple as that. Democracy doesn't... I don't believe that we have genuinely a representative democracy across the European Union. We don't have sufficiently strong ties to be prepared to accept governance at one another's hands. Um, and that built-in, inbuilt majority in the Council of Ministers will only um, get uh, that majority against us, will only get larger as our voting strength dilutes as other members join the Thank European you. Union. And Quasi, could you answer the question in the front row, uh, are we better off or worse off? And I think you were citing some evidence that I think, I think raises a... questions about whether it's, we're sailing let, let, into a... Let, let's be very honest. We were in this, uh, we've been in the EU for EEC as it was before, for 43 years. So clearly leaving that... Um, there would be a period of adjustment. There will be, mar markets will be fluctuating. But what people, certainly in my constituency, felt was that this was a one-off chance that they had to leave the EU. And they, they were very worried that if we stayed, we would not revisit this question for another 25 years. And they were very conscious also of the risks of staying in. The, um, the Eurozone, which we haven't even mentioned, 70% of the EU economy is tied in a single currency and the difficulties of that have not been resolved. And people in my constituency, they weren't duped, they weren't stupid, they, weren't, they had a very clear-eyed view of, of what, where their interests were and what they felt um, British sovereignty was about, and they thought that um, in, a short, in the short term, 
They were prepared to, to take uh, more uncertainty so that they knew that they would get out of this thing and, as Theresa said, take back control. That was a calculus, a rational calculation that these people that made. Now, Catherine, you worked in the Treasury at the time of the financial crash. You know about being worse off. Tell us, answer the question there. Well, I think one off. of the sort of leading lights that changed his mind just, I think, within 24 hours was Calvin McKenzie, who edited The Sun, who had campaigned vigorously to get us out of Europe and then told us the day after we voted to come out of Europe that he perhaps made a mistake. We didn't... Um, the European... The, most of our laws in Britain are made in Britain, and it is a complete myth to say that the laws are being made in Brussels or Strasbourg and imposed on us. I think it's 12% of the British law, of the laws that we, uh, that we live by are made in Brussels, and they're mostly about compliance, they're about trade, and we will still have to live with these laws when in or out of Europe. Very big party, because we need to move on. But, but there is an abstract issue here. There may be an abstract, there, there uh, there an abstract, be an abstract issue, but it is a myth to see. I mean, the last time that Britain used the veto, and it was when David Cameron went to Europe, and everybody in Europe wanted to impose veto, a veto on Chinese steel coming into Britain. And the British government used the veto to, so they wouldn't have a tariff on Chinese steel. So the Chinese steel is flooding um, into Britain thank because... You. The British government Sorry, you didn't decided make me, you didn't we need to answer our because but time is running out. Um, Owen, can I ask you to answer? It was Vera, wasn't it? Really important question from Vera about how, in the sort of the Westminster world, we can get all excited about personalities and we actually forget some incredibly important issues like Vera was hired, I think, children's rights. Could you, could you answer well, that? Well, there's not exactly been a lack of news, has there, for last month. I don't know about you, but every time I get a news alert on my phone, I'm like, not again. Um, yeah, I mean, you're quite right. A lot of... We live in a period of political turmoil, which means we're not talking about many of the bread and butter issues that actually affect people. I'm going to have protracted negotiations for the next few years. All we'll be talking about is the European Union. A lot of those issues will be missing. And one, just a link to the point about economic turmoil in terms, of, in terms of that, I was not one of the people. I opposed, just to be even-handed, those threats of economic apocalypse, the punishment budget, all the rest. So I condemn them. You don't condemn the lies on the other side, incidentally. But my fear is the people who voted leave are going to be the ones who suffer the most. That's the problem, and that's what we need to be talking about. Great. Thanks very much. Let's take another three questions. There is the woman there holding up a white piece of paper. You can't miss her. There's a microphone on the way. Hello. Uh, my question's for Theresa Villiers. I'm someone who grew up in Belfast during the 1980s, as you can remember, with troops on my street when I was going to school. I know plenty of people who devoted their entire lives to working for peace in Northern Ireland. And I just wonder how Theresa Villiers feels about the fact that the majority of people in Northern Ireland and in Scotland wanted to remain, and the fact that I, I've been actually quite spottish. I have read through the Hansard debates on this in Parliament. Can you move the in the union of, of the United mark? Kingdom was not brought up. So the question is, how does Theresa Villiers feel about the fact that she was Northern Ireland's secretary and the question of peace and the implications Great. for peace in Northern Ireland were not, were not, in the, in, on, okay. were not debated, frankly. Next question. There's somebody right next to that woman just there. Um, sorry, Theresa, it's a, another question for you, sorry. Um, I'm from Northern Ireland as well, though we're not related. Um, and I'm just wondering, so obviously under the terms of the Good Friday Agreement, I can have a British passport and an Irish passport, and after the referendum result, I'm going to apply for an Irish passport so that I can still be a European citizen. But like, 
will I lose all my rights associated with that Irish passport and still be an EU, still being an EU citizen, or will I have additional rights because I'm still a, a member of the European Union due to my Irish passport? Great. Thank you. One more question. Let's move over here. Um, let's go for the gentleman right here. Wait for the microphone, please. Orange top. I haven't got my glasses. Sort of orange. Um, can Theresa May hold the union together? Can you repeat that, please? Can the Prime Minister keep the union together? Okay. Let's have one more question, because we've got two that are specifically for Theresa. Gentlemen, just here. Thank there you. we are with the glasses. Uh, uh, it's, my question is directed mostly at Theresa Villiers. You'd mentioned that I can... Uh, I'm, I'm a small exporter, a manufacturer of scientific instruments, employ about a dozen people. You've suggested that when uh, I can no longer effectively export to our neighbours a few hundred miles away from here, that I can replace that market with um, uh, Australia on the other side of the world, or America, or... <laughs> or, or even... India or China, China where if I send one instrument, that'll be the first and last instrument before I see copies of it. Um, is that seriously the view of, uh, of Cabinet, of, of, of the current government, that I can replace the markets which have been robust and reliable for 40 years with markets on the other side of the world? Great, thank you very much. I'm going to hold that question for Kwasi. Theresa, if I could ask you to answer the Northern Ireland questions, the peace process and the, uh, the passport question. Well, the, the Northern Ireland peace process was extensively debated during the referendum. I was asked about it many times, and my response is that support for the political settlement in Northern Ireland is rock solid. The vast majority of people support the political settlement, and actually on many, many voices on both sides of the debate, Remain and Leave emphasised that too. Yes, Tony Blair had a different view. He thought that the peace process might be affected. But you get people like Martin McGuinness and Sinn Féin saying that whatever the outcome of the vote, um, the support for the peace process was solid, and so it has proved. I don't think for a moment that people in Northern Ireland are going to abandon their commitment to democratic and peaceful means of determining their future merely on the basis of this vote. I think that is, that is, a, that is a dangerous allegation to make, and thankfully there is no sign of people resorting to, to violence in these circumstances. Um, in terms of a border poll, the Good Friday Agreement is very clear on the uh, conditions which need to be met that require a poll on a United Ireland to be held. Uh, those conditions are not met because those conditions are you have to have a reasonable belief that there would be a majority for United Ireland. There is no indication that that will be the case, and therefore my successor and um, the outgoing Prime Minister both ruled out a border poll. In terms of Irish passports, it's, um, it's part of the Good Friday Agreement that uh, residents of Northern Ireland are entitled to apply for an Irish passport, and if they choose to do so, they will have all the rights that, goes with, that go with Irish passports. Thank you very much. Kwasi, can you answer the question about the impact for exporters of Brexit? Okay, so there, there, are, there are lots of various models that have been put forward. So if you take the EEA, and this is, I'm not prejudging this discussion, but clearly if there's an EEA model... I don't happen to favour it, but if we go down that route, um, your capacity to sell into that market will not change in any way. Um, for people like me, I want to see a concession on freedom of movement, um, and so that's part of the negotiation. I can't prejudge now 
what, what, what the end point of that negotiation will be. But this idea that somehow by leaving the EU we will be, you know, there will be a cast iron drawbridge that uh, is, is lifted and that you will never be able to uh, trade uh, with, the, with the Europe is, is mad. It's not true. And, and if you look at, I'll give you an example, a big exporter into the EU market is Switzerland. Now Switzerland actually applied to join the EU for 24 years. It had an ongoing application. They just withdrew the application uh, in March this year. They don't want to be part of the EU, even though a large proportion of their exporters actually sell into that market. Now, but now people, going to have, you cannot sit here and say it's I, all going to I, be I know, fine. That's what I've said. You I don't know. I've say, said that. I don't know. I've said that's the point of the you negotiation. You can't even say that the drawbridge won't be tipped. That's up. the point of the negotiation. Yes, no, but you've just I said cannot that. sketch out today, in, on July the 23rd or whatever we are, okay. 2016, we're, a month after the vote, what the end point of that negotiation we're, we're will be. We're going to need to move on to the next question. Catherine, Scottish expert, that question about keeping the union together. Nicola Sturgeon is floating the idea of a second referendum, independence referendum in Scotland. How's that going to work out? I think Theresa May did very well going to Scotland in her first visit. Um, and then she went to Ireland, um, to Wales, and that was very good too. I think that Nicola, the SNP, do not want to have a second referendum at the moment. Nicola Sturgeon, who is playing a pretty canny hand, has got a party management problem because about 25% of the members of her party would like to have a referendum today or tomorrow. She will have a referendum when she thinks she's going to win it, and the polls don't show that she would win it yet. And she would, if she was having a referendum, she would, not, she would be having to do a Brexit to take us down a route of uncertainty where they do not have the answers. They'll be have to prepare to plunge the country into chaos for perhaps, you know, short-time headlines to say that we've broken up the United Kingdom. I also don't think that she at all has answered the question that we want to break up the United Kingdom, but we want to join the European Union. So there's a lot of unanswered questions that they didn't answer in 2014 and they haven't answered yet. Thank you very much. Right, we've got time for one question, but there's one very strict rule with this question. It's got to be to Owen, because we haven't heard from him. So who has got a question for Owen Jones, the guy there in the glasses? Quick, please. Thank you very much. Um, I'm Chris. I'm from Leicestershire, so I'm not actually from uh, London. Um, the question I have is this. The current situation we've got is a Labour Party divided, a Conservative Party that's at each other's throats and will continue to be very over quick. the series of a whole series of negotiations and cannot square the problem of stopping migration and keeping the economy where it needs to be. In this situation, doesn't it just make first-past-the-post politics a joke? Thank yes. you. In just a minute, without hesitation uh, or repetition. Yeah, um... Uh, People have said about the Labour Party at the moment that it's, it's like a married couple where all the love is gone, where they're sharing separate beds, leaving passive-aggressive notes on the fridge, yelling abuse of each other, but they can't afford a separate flat. And you could say that partly about the Conservative Party as well. The way this country is, it's far more fragmented and divided than for a, a, an electoral system that's designed for a two-party system. So I think that has to be on the table because politics, this country is in a period of crisis and dramatic flux and I think we should have an electoral system that reflects the fact that our society and people's political choices are far more complicated than they were and that has to be something that has to be on the table in the coming years, yes. Brilliant, thank you very much Owen. I'm now going to draw this to close. I'm going to say thank you to Quasi, thank you Teresa, thank you to Catherine and thank you to Owen. Before I let you go, round of applause. Bef 
Thank you for downloading this Intelligence Squared podcast. For more information on our debates, talks and discussions, visit intelligencesquared.com and sign up to the newsletter.